You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Called this series, The Imperfect Church. Why have we done that? Because that is what we are. Like the church in Corinth, we are an imperfect church made of imperfect people who are joyfully striving and stumbling to show a perfect savior. You see, we've learned throughout this series that the apostle Paul started this church in Acts chapter 18, and he wrote this letter. However, Paul had been away for a little while, and since he has been away, divisive relationships and cliques have come about in this church as people started to magnify certain messengers and trust themselves to certain speakers while missing their message. And because they missed their message, the cross had become cluttered by worldly wisdom and by misconceptions about the type of savior Jesus would be. And what ended up happening is Paul told them that the only way they could truly know God And what God has done is for them to have the spirit of God inside of them. And that spirit that is inside of them is meant to grow them. You see, this morning, what Paul wants to tell us is this, is that all Christian growth comes from God and God alone. You see, growth is of the utmost importance when it comes to life. Lionel Messi is probably, arguably, the most famous athlete in the world right now. He's potentially the most popular person in the entire world right now. And some of you in here are like, who in the world is Lionel Messi? And the reason you don't know that is because you live in the United States. You see, in the United States, soccer is not the most predominant sport. But throughout the world, soccer is huge. And Lionel Messi is like the equivalent of LeBron James. And some of you are like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to understand. This past year, my kids got involved in soccer and they started learning about the sport, reading about the sport, and they eventually came to learn about Lionel Messi. You see, Messi, when he was a young kid, suffered from a growth hormone deficiency. And so at age 11, his dad had to start paying for treatments. Now, these treatments for a 45-day cycle cost about $1,500, And so he would get these injections trying to help him to grow. But by the time he turned 13 years old, his father's company decided to stop helping with the treatment, stop helping with paying for the treatment. And so what ended up happening is Messi at that time was playing for a soccer team in Argentina, ended up signing a contract with a team in Barcelona, Spain. They said they would continue paying for his treatment. And they did. And Messi today is about 30 years old. He's grown up and he is arguably not only the best player in the world, but many people are talking right now. He's the best player in all of history. Why? Because he started to grow. You see, as people, we know that growth is huge. And when something is not growing, we recognize there's a problem. If a person isn't growing, there's a problem. If a plant doesn't grow, there's a problem. If our bank accounts don't grow, there is a problem. If our stocks don't trend upward, there is a problem. You see, when things don't grow, we know something is wrong. Therefore, we quickly try to identify the problem and fix it. Paul is going to tell us today that the same is true for the Christian. You see, in a, the Christians in Corinth weren't growing. And as Christians, we are called to grow. 
the Christians in this city had been Christians for years. But to use Paul's analogy, they're still in diapers. Why is that? It's because the people in Corinth were looking to themselves and others for their Christian growth and not to God. Due to this, their character revealed that they weren't progressing in their faith. They were still babies, infants in their faith. That is why Paul is going to share with us today that true Christian growth comes from God and God alone. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. So far in this letter, Paul has made a clear distinction between those in the world and those who are Christians. Here, Paul makes a distinction between mature Christians and immature Christians. How do I know this? What does Paul call these people? He calls them brothers. 39 times in this letter, Paul refers to the people in Corinth as brothers. He, does, he refers to them as brothers in this letter far more than he does in any of his other letters. When you look in chapter one, you might recall that what did the Corinthians do? They called out upon Jesus for salvation. And what does Paul say the Holy Spirit did for them? Gave them gifts. We're gonna see in chapter 14 here in about seven months maybe, I don't know. But what we're gonna see is that they would gather together as a church. These people were Christians. Yet in spite of all of this, they're not mature Christians. They're mere infants in Christ. Yes, they're Christians, but they're babies. D.A. Carson helpfully writes this, of this, to summarize this text. Listen to what he says. Yes, they are Christians. Yes, they do have the spirit. But in certain particulars, still to be laid out, they simply do not act like it. Paul judges them to be spiritually immature, wretchedly, unacceptably, spiritually immature. In this text, Paul uses the analogy of milk to refer to teaching. And he says when he came into Corinth and he started this church, he fed these Christians milk. Why? Because that's what babies eat. No baby comes into this world from the womb craving an In-N-Out burger, right? Even though that would be absolutely amazing. But they just don't. Why? Their digestive system does not have the capacity to process something like that. But as a child matures and as they begin to grow, they graduate from milk to jarred food. And then they go on to solid food. I joyfully remember several years ago, my son was about four years old then, enjoying my first steak with him. One of the things you got to know about me is that I am a devout carnivore. And I really enjoy opportunities to uh, taste tasty animals and to eat them. I had a friend recently tell me that if he was a cow, he'd be nervous to be around me. And I thought that was kind of offensive. But anyway... We were driving back from Kentucky to Las Vegas and we decided to go through Albuquerque just to crash and to rest and to avoid all the snow and stuff. And so when we got checked in the hotel, my wife and my son were there, I decided to go get us something to eat and so I went to a steakhouse. And as I walked in, I noticed they had a children's menu and on that children's menu, they didn't just have chicken tenders but they had steak. And so I decided to order it for my son, medium rare just like dad likes it. I took it back to the hotel room and I will, I mean, I remember being nervous, like what if this child doesn't like steak? What's going to happen to our family? He cuts into it. He eats, well, my wife cut into it. He eats it and he goes, mmm, good. Just the other night, both of my daughters cut into their delicious steaks. Mmm, good. We've got unity in our household, right? 
But my son, he would have been alive for four years. I didn't get him a big glass of milk, did I? Why? Because he's grown past that. He's onto solid things. He's eating pork, lamb, steak, and vegetables. We're trying to be healthy, but you understand what I'm trying to say. This is what's going on. These people in Corinth had been Christians for about four years. They pride themselves on their giftedness, their intellectual superiority. And they must have mistakenly thought that when Paul showed up and wrote this letter to them, they would have been commended for their faith, for their growth. Paul's words must have been just like a shock. Why? Because he looks at them and he says, you guys aren't even on the graduate or the collegiate level of spiritual maturity. You're not even on the high school level. You're not even on the preschool level. As a matter of fact, you're still in your diapers. You're at the bottom shelf of spiritual achievement, if you will. And I know that sounds harsh, but I want you to think about what Paul is doing here. He loves these people. We've already affirmed this. What does he call them? Brothers. They're brothers. They're family to him. But the reason he calls them out is because he needs to graciously offend them. You see, for the past four years, as these people have been walking with Jesus, they haven't been idle. They've been trying to grow, but they've been looking to the wrong sources for their growth. If you remember correctly, as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, we've noticed that these people would oftentimes trust in themselves or others for maturity. They would attach themselves to certain teachers, certain preachers, if you will, saying, I'm with him, therefore I'm somebody. Some of them ended up trying to mix in worldly wisdom, if you will, to the gospel. Ultimately, what these people were doing is they were striving to find spiritual growth in themselves and themselves alone. For four years, they've been working hard, only to find out when Paul shows up, it's all been for nothing. How many of us in here knows what that feels like? You've been working hard at something to get something done, only to realize it was pointless. It wasn't worth it. When I was in my uh, first job, I, I was given the opportunity to work the staff meeting, to lead the staff meeting. And I remember thinking to myself, hey, this is what I'm going to do. We don't have a safety handbook here. So I went and I spent hours upon hours just trying to craft this safety handbook, put it together, procedures, policies, the whole thing. I decided like, hey, if I do this and I walk into the staff meeting, they're all going to look at me and go, wow, look at this manual. We need Travis to lead more of the staff meetings, right? I mean, I just had this like false idea in my head. So I spent all this time on this booklet only to go into the meeting. They let me present it. Nobody questioned anything while I was presenting it. I asked for questions. Nobody had questions. And when I sat down, one of the people around the table said, Travis, that, that was nice, but we already have a safety handbook. And I look at them like, what? Well, that information would have been helpful like five minutes ago, right? It would have been helpful a couple days ago. They already had it. And I sat there humiliated. I can only picture the Corinthians are in a similar position. You see, their worst fears have come true. They realized that everything they had done for the past four years amounted to a big pile of nothing. Why? Because they were tapping into the wrong sources. You see, Paul is going to tell us throughout this text that true Christian growth doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from others. It comes from God and God alone. And Paul is going to tell us that these people are still infants in their faith. Why? Because their re behavior reflects such. He's going to tell us that in this church, they are full, absolutely full of 
ways in which they're not being distinct but blending into the culture. Look what he says in verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. Now listen. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the, fle- you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. He's asking a question. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul looks at this church and he says, instead of acting like Jesus, you're acting like those who don't know Jesus. Instead of acting like a person who has the spirit of God, you're acting like someone who doesn't have the spirit. Why does he say this? Because what is this church filled with? Jealousy and strife, division, divisiveness, disunity. And Galatians chapter 5, which is another letter Paul wrote, he lists 15 characteristics of worldly living, worldly behavior. Six of those characteristics have to do with division. You see, division breaks the very heart of Jesus. We're going to learn in a minute, it, it grieves the heart of the Spirit. Paul is saying, you're no different than the world. Why? Because what are you full of? Not full of Christ. You're full of divisiveness, jealousy, and strife. You're reflecting the environment around you. You're not influencing it. He pulls back out the fractions that are taking place within the church, the factions. Basically, some people saying, I follow Paul. Some saying, I follow Apollos. And what does Paul call this? Merely human. Essentially, he says, this is worldly living. Some have asked, what's the big deal about this type of boasting? I mean, is this type of boasting really bad? But I want us to understand what's going on here. You see, these people aren't boasting in Paul and Apollos in order to magnify Paul and Apollos. They're boasting in Paul and Apollos to magnify themselves. About a year ago, my wife and I were watching this show about lawyers who worked for this prestigious law firm. And in order to work for this law firm, you had to go to Harvard, okay? I mean, throughout the show, you watch the show, throughout the show, they are constantly talking about Harvard. I went to Harvard. We only get interns from Harvard and such. Now, why did they always boast in Harvard? Because they wanted to magnify Harvard? No. What were they trying to do? Magnify themselves. You see, by being associated with Harvard, what did it do? It distinguished them from lesser lawyers, if you will. The Christians in Corinth were really no different than the world around them. The jealousy and strife that was in this church was so strong, they actually pitted Christian leaders, Paul and Apollos, against each other arguing about which was better. And Paul is going to tell us in a bit, that's absolutely ridiculous. You see, as a result of this behavior, instead of being mature and growing and unified, the church was divided. And by following Paul and Apollos in this sort of way to magnify themselves, not magnify Jesus, John 17, what does Jesus pray for you and for me and for his disciples that they would be what? One. And Ephesians chapter four, divisive behavior in the church grieves the Holy Spirit of God. You see, rivalry and division was a normal practice within the Corinthian city. And sadly, it had become a normal practice within the Corinthian church. Rather than imaging Jesus and magnifying Jesus and influencing the city around them, they have allowed the city to influence and to diminish the church. You see, in Corinth, it was a common practice for someone to make a name for themselves to grow, if you will, by attaching their identity to the success of someone else. 
Think about what these guys are saying. I follow Paul, the man of God. I follow Apollos, that powerful order. They're somebodies. They're successful. And because I'm with them, guess what? I'm a somebody too. And don't we hear that type of talk in our culture and society today? Some people say, well, I'm with John Piper, or I'm with Tim Keller, or I'm with Beth Moore, or I'm with Jen Wilkin, which are some Christian leaders in our culture today. Some of us don't just do that with Christians, but we do it with schools or businesses or groups. We say, I'm with Harvard, or I'm with Yale, or I'm with this group, or this group of people. They're somebodies. They're successful because I'm with them. Guess what? I'm somebody too. The problem with this is the fact that when we put all of our identity in people and institutions, we're always going to be let down. We're always going to be let down. They're always going to fail us. Our lives are not meant to be clamped down and place our weight upon those things. Our lives are meant to be entrusted to Jesus and Jesus alone and his perfect life and his glorious resurrection, his work that will not fail. When we put our identity and our success in the things around us and the people around us, when they start to fail because our identity is attached to them, what do we start doing to them? We put more pressure on them. You got to perform better. Why? Because I'm somebody because of this. So you got to start picking it up. I've seen this so, like, just so obviously on the soccer field. Being out there, watching a bunch of adults yell at a bunch of nine-year-olds on a field kicking a ball in such a way that if they don't win, their very livelihood is at stake. And why are they yelling at these kids so hard? Why instead of coaching them, does it seem like they're screaming at them to put the fear in them to work better? It's because their very identity is wrapped up in how eight-year-olds play with a soccer ball. Even worse, sadly over the last few months, some pretty well-known pastors in our nation have had to resign due to moral failure. And because people have found themselves trusting more in that messenger rather than the message they delivered, they are in a crisis of faith. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. What these people did is wrong. It cannot be excused. But at the end of the day, our hope is not in the successes and failures of earthly, earthly preachers. Rather, our hope is in the certain and assured success of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection alone. We do not boast in the name of messengers. What did we learn in chapter one? We boast in the name of who? The Lord, Jesus, Jesus alone. Because you and I, when we trust in Jesus, we are def defined and we grow by what he has done. And our growth comes from him alone. What is sad is that the Corinthian church failed to recognize this. And instead of growing in Jesus, they have allowed themselves to be influenced by the culture almost to the point where they blended in and they weren't even distinct from the culture. Some of you may have seen pictures kind of like this. I think we have those pictures, don't we? Yeah. This is Lou Boleyn. See if you can find him. It's almost as good as a Where's Waldo book, right? But Lou Boleyn is a Chinese artist and he makes these pictures called Hiding in the City. And what he does is he bent paints himself to blend in with the environment around him, earning him the nickname, the Invisible Man. Now, the reason he did this is as a political protest 
to basically say, hey, my city is destroying these places, so I'm just going to blend in. They're trying to make them disappear, so I'm going to disappear. It's like a political protest. But here's what I want to make, the point I want to make of this. You and I aren't supposed to blend in. We're not supposed to be like this. You see, you can't even distinguish him from the environment around him. But Christians, guys, are not supposed to blend in. They're supposed to stand out. That when we start to image and model our lives after Jesus, looking to him to grow us, we're not just going to blend in with the culture around us. We're going to influence the culture around us. You see, D.L. Moody says it like this. He says, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. And how is the Corinthian church sinking? They've allowed the culture to, cultural values of rivalry and division to build walls dividing them from each other. Tony Marita is a pastor in uh, North Carolina, and he, he's also a professor at a seminary there. And he wrote a preaching book that I read several years ago, and I just thought this point he made about preaching is so impactful for a church, but I think the application of it goes outside of preaching. Listen to what he says. He says, seventh, he says, we must work hard to cultivate congregational unity. The congregation has a role in the preaching event. The spirit is a person who can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30, and a fire that can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He is sensitive. Whatever is inconsistent with his nature offends him. It is thus necessary for the congregation to understand her role in the preaching event. Unloving attitudes and commonly tolerated sins like gossip, slander, and evil speaking and jealousy may affect the degree of influence of the spirit. Sin in the camp offends the spirit, but holiness and love attract the spirit. Azurdia, who's another professor, Artazuria, states that the wounding of the spirit can and often does lead to a withdrawal of his influences. Marita concludes, let your people know that their lifestyle and their relationships may in fact play a role in the effect of your preaching. But think about what he's saying there. I don't even, I don't just think it's limited to the preaching. Jesus says in John 17, he wants us to be one. What does he say in John 13? Father, help them, teach it. He's basically saying, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you what? if you love one another. You see, we know we are growing in Christ. We know we are maturing. When we're not picking at each other, rivalry, division, slander, gossip, but when we're unified, treasuring Jesus, loving Jesus, and praying for him to increase our love for one another. You see, Paul tells them that their strife and their jealousy is just absolutely ridiculous. For true Christian salvation and growth is not something that Paul or Apollos can do. Rather, it comes from God alone. Listen to what he says in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you've believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Listen carefully to what Paul says here. You didn't place your trust in him. You didn't even place your trust and faith in Apollos. You and I are not to put our trust and trust ourselves to them. Rather, we're to believe in someone so much greater through them. And who is that greater one? And this is the church answer that you just always say. When in doubt, what name do you say? Jesus. 
That's who we trust in. I mean, who are Paul and Apollos? What does Paul say? They're servants. And it's almost as if Paul is ridiculing their misplaced loyalties. It's almost as if he was saying, I boast in a service, said, servant, said no one. No one boasts in a servant. But rather, they are assigned servants to magnify only who? Jesus. That's who they are. A couple months ago, my son and I watched a movie. You might have heard of this one called Miracle. It's uh, about the 1980 hockey team that upset the Russian hockey team to win the gold medal. Some of you are like, I'm still not with you. It's kind of like messy. But anyway, trust me, it's a movie. Okay, you can watch it. But in that movie, there's a coach by the name of Herb Brooks. And he has a job to do to take all these top collegiate players from all over the United States, huge rivalries like Massachusetts and Minnesota. And his goal, his job is to make them play as one. As the movie is progressing, anytime these players would introduce themselves, they would say, such and such name, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I play for the University of Minnesota. And then you would hear one guy go, I play for UMass, or I play for this, 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 and this. They were all playing for themselves. They get into a game, and they end up tying this team they should have easily beat. And as they are getting ready to skate off the ice, Herb Brooks looks to assistant, and he says, get a whistle. And the assistant looks at him like, what? He says, get a whistle. So he gets a whistle. He looks at the entire team. He says, get back on the ice. Stand on the goal line. And then what did they do at the end of that game? They did shuttle sprints. Basically running to one, skating to one line back, one line back, just farther, farther, and farther. At one point, this is what Herb Brooks says. When you put the jersey, when you put on the jersey, you represent you and your teammates. And the name on the front, which said USA, is more important than the one on the back. Get that through your head. And he blows the whistle and he says again. And they start to skate. And they keep skating. And almost to the point where you're like, this is getting out of control. He's going to hurt these kids. One of the kids stands up and he just screams out, Michael Rizzoni, Wefford, Massachusetts. And then Herb Brooks looks at him and goes, who do you play for? And he says, the United States of America, and they fall to the ground, and he goes, enough, guys. Good job. And he walks off, basically. Why did he do that? Because he knew there was something more important than the name on the back. It's the name on the front. In the same way, what Paul is saying here is, Paul, Tarsus Turkey, I play for Team Jesus. Apollo stands up next. Apollos, Alexandria, Egypt, I play for Team Jesus. You see, messengers of Jesus, guys, hear me clearly. They are so much more about the name on the front, which is Jesus. They could care less about the name on the back. That's what Paul is trying to say. He says the growth for your Christian life doesn't come through the name on the back. The growth for your life comes through the name that's on the front. And it's always and only about who? Church answer, Jesus. It's always about Jesus. You see, Paul is not just trying to diminish his role in the Corinthian salvation. He's trying to magnify their passion and their affections for the glory of God in their salvation. Look what he writes in verses six through nine. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Who gave the growth? God. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Verse eight, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You're not Paul's field. You're not Apollos' field. Whose field are you? God. Whose building are you? 
gods. It's not about them. You see, Paul planted this church. That means he started it. Apollos watered, meaning he pastored it. Yes, these are absolutely essential, but this is not Paul's point he's trying to make. He says, but God gave the growth because true Christian growth comes from who alone? God. You see, in another letter, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2, or chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, Paul says that we are saved by grace through faith. You see, the text there implies that both the grace and the faith are gifts lavished upon you by God. It's all from God. You cannot boast in a man or a thing. You can only boast in God. You see, Paul is telling us he could have planted all day long. Apollos could have preached eloquent sermons all day long. But if God didn't show up, there would be no what? Growth. We can plant. We can water. But if God doesn't show up, there's not going to be any growth. Jesus says as much in John 15 when he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Our growth comes from continually staying connected to the vine. And his name is Jesus. Here's what I mean. Growth does not come through reading the right book, listening to the right preacher, serving in the right ministry, being in the right community group, or practicing the right spiritual disciplines. Don't get me wrong. These are helpful and they are essential. And God may use them like he used Paul and Apollos. But at the end of the day, neither you or I can ultimately thank the author of a book, a particular preacher, or a particular spiritual discipline for our growth. You have to thank God. To do this would be ultimately, to ultimately thank anyone or thing other than God would be like going down to the Bellagio fountains. Seeing those fountains do their magical stuff. Celine Dion in the background. I haven't been down there in years. That's pretty old. I don't know what they're playing now. But you see these lights and these fountains doing all this crazy stuff. And then after the show, when you're just standing there, everybody just stands there completely silent to sit there and start thanking the Jets. Thank you so much, Jets. That was a wonderful show. Thank you so much, lights. And then you got this guy standing behind it all going, what? Because at the end of the day, we don't thank necessarily the jets and the lights and the water. Who do we thank? The one who made it. In the same way, we don't camp out and glory in a discipline. We don't glory in a particular preacher. We glory in God and God alone for he is the one who used that to bring the growth in our life. <clears throat> Over the years, um, I'll end with this. Over the years, I've had some people talk to me about how they're amazed at my growth in Jesus and I think it's funny because uh, I oftentimes tend to question my growth in Jesus. Um, I can just say basically that I've been treated far better than I deserve. When I first met my wife, uh, her best friend uh, looked at her and said, oh that's Travis and uh, she knew me from middle school and she said, basically said, stay away from him. He's mean. And man, I was. And when I meet people today, and they find out I'm a pastor in Las Vegas of all places, they tend to be uh, pretty shocked. You see, before I knew Jesus, the only books I read had pictures in them. 
It's called Sports Illustrated, basically. It wasn't even a book. See, that's how bad I was. It's a magazine. I mean, I did not desire the things of God. Yet when God was gracious to me and gave me that grace and that faith, he radically changed my passions and desires. At the end of the day, I can no more magnify in me than I could this floor. Like, there's nothing there. It was always and only because of God. He was so gracious to me that when I was like Jonah running away from him, he came after me. Had to go through some valleys and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't all fun and games all the time. No, but it was always good. Why? Because it was always him and he's always good in all that he does. If you're a believer in this room and you find yourself treasuring Jesus, glorify God for that. Don't glory in a preacher Thank the preacher. Thank you for being faithful to the word. Thank you for singing the songs that we needed to hear that day. But at the end of the day, glorify God. He is the generous one. He is the loving one. And he is the constant unchanging one that you can put your life upon. Trust in him. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus... And maybe you're like me and you can feel the weight of living for things of this world and feel them fleeting. I encourage you, run to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Find joy in what he and he alone has done to rescue you. Let's pray.